1: Hi everyone, Ed Gotham here and welcome to Opto Sessions, where we interview the top traders and investors from around the world uncovering their secrets to success. In this episode, I'm talking to the wonderful Michelle Snyder. Mish is a former floor trader and co-founder of Market Gauge, where she serves as a director of trading research and education. Market Gauge's philosophy is to identify both the biggest macro and emerging trends using their proprietary tools indicators and proven trading models. It provides financial information and education to thousands of individuals, as well as large companies such as Barons, Fidelity, Thomson Reuters and Bank of America. Mish has a daily newsletter as well, highlighting some of the very interesting trends and opportunities that are happening in the market. I highly recommend it. You can find it at marketgage.com and on Opto. It's called Mish's Daily. In this interview, however, we dive into Bitcoin versus gold the potential commodities supercycle, stagflation, and the inflation narrative spooking the markets. Enjoy the show. Hey, Mish. How are you doing? Good to have you on the show again. Nice to be here, Ed. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. How's everything in Santa Fe? It is Santa Fe, I think, isn't it?
0: Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah. Well, it's, it's lovely. We're in springtime now, so uh, we're expecting snow and rain this week, <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be back in warm temperature very soon. It's lovely in Santa Fe. Yeah. I encourage anybody from the UK when you're allowed to do that again to come visit here.
1: Yeah. We talked about it last time and it's somewhere I definitely want to go visit. Um, has it opened up? Now are they still, is it quite restricted still or how's it going there?
0: New Mexico is actually pretty opened up. Our cases have gone way down. And even though I haven't gotten the vaccine yet, a lot of my friends have traveled off to Colorado and Texas to get vaccinated. And so they've opened up restaurants, stores, everything to about 50% capacity. So that's pretty
1: good. Yeah, yeah. And we were just talking about um, markets have got a bit choppy recently and uh, not as simple as last year, is it this year? That it, it, It's definitely got a bit more difficult. How's it going on your side in in terms of that? Is it proving more difficult to get sort of like uh, ideas or trade directions and stuff at the moment? Are you waiting for the chop to, you know, see itself through and a new trend to emerge?
0: Well, I think the trends are pretty much intact. Nothing has really changed in terms of trends in that we do have the uh, value stocks were outperforming the growth and now growth's making a little bit of a comeback, but that's a healthy thing for the market. Lots of predictions about inflation which we had been talking about now for over a year, considering that it was obvious that the super cycle should begin again after 40 years. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that's really made things a little bit more difficult here right now is that some of the growing pains of the new administration, the market doesn't quite know how to interpret. Will there be a tax raise besides a wealth tax, corporate tax raise? Will relations with China and Russia go south from here? Will the dollar continue to hold up as the world's reserve currency? Uh, will the yields continue to rise? Have we hit sort of a bottom of that cycle of, of falling yields? Will there be an infrastructure package? Uh, will there be more government spending? Will there be more stimulus money? Will the economy come back? There's so many questions. And what happened last year was after the initial swoon when the pandemic first hit the markets, Everything was hopeful to that point, including a new administration coming in. And now I think the market is saying, hey, wait a minute. We really don't know. Will the economy fully come back? And if it does, why would it? Because it wasn't really humming along that great even before the pandemic. It was sort of skidding along, I would say. And I believe that a lot of people are confused exactly what Biden's policies are going to be set forth uh, in terms of just all of that. How, how friendly are they to the markets? Trump was super friendly to the markets, in fact, so friendly to the markets, he tweeted about it all the time, and he put pressure on anything and anyone that came in the way of the market continuing to go up. Mm. Biden has at least, I mean, he doesn't even take to Twitter, and if he does, I haven't seen it, and I haven't really heard him talk much about the markets per se. He's, he's got his hands full with so many other things, and now, of course, there's a whole scandal going on with the borders because the borders sort of got opened up again and yeah. may have gotten a little bit out of control.
1: Yeah, let's dig into this um, inflation narrative that we're seeing at the moment, which is like you've been talking about. It's one of the main things concerning investors at the moment, including, you know, people looking at the 10-year yields, et cetera, largely because, well, you know, monetary supply is increased. Uh, and also what I've been hearing at the moment on, on Twitter, a lot of people starting to talk about supply chain issues as well, which obviously can cause inflation of prices as well. So together, potentially recipe for disaster in terms of like, inflation in your opinion what are we seeing at the moment and you know how are the markets positioning themselves you know for the nature of this
0: well what's kind of interesting here is that the market didn't really seem to be positioning itself for the idea of some kind of a super cycle inflation like the Bloomberg article that just came out, and at least not in the traditional ways. Because the traditional ways, if you go back to the 70s, would be oil, gold, silver in particular. And right now, oil has made somewhat of a comeback, but it's not anywhere near inflationary levels as we saw in the 1970s when. We had the oil embargo and oil went really wild to the upside, which then, of course, set off a chain of events with gold and silver and some of the soft commodities. What we're seeing now is a little bit different because the commodity supercycle is really starting more from the industrial metals, copper, steel in particular. Then, of course, the housing boom, because we did not have any great construction of new housing in this country for the last decade. And now all of a sudden, with a housing shortage, that boom started. So lumber has, has gone up and anything related to the housing, which of course would go back to those industrial metals. So what's interesting now is with the pandemic, we've created a new side. And the fact that people are just starting to talk about supply chain is interesting to me because we've been talking about it for the really pretty much since a year ago, when it was obvious because of COVID that we would have supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. because of the fact that everything stopped. I mean, even in the shipping sector, that there was major uh, blockages of ships being able to get through to deliver oil and other food goods. And then it went on top of that, you had low labor force. So a lot of the production stopped. And so all of that has created not only a lower production from the supply chain and just from the fact that people were planting, let's say, less crops over the years, but we also now have a higher demand coming in. And that's why people are starting to say, wow, maybe we're really gonna go into some kind of major mega cycle here. So I think that there's a couple of other factors now. We have stimulus money that has hit the market, um and that also has created an inflationary environment we have talk of wages going up particularly the minimum wage going up which in other cycles has been somewhat inflationary so it is very possible but i would say what people don't talk about much and now i'm starting to see more conversation about is not hyperinflation but stagflation mm. and that goes back to what we just started talking about in the beginning of our conversation which is What is really going to make the economy continue to grow a lot from here? And there are some ideas, but whether or not they get passed, we can talk about that. So if the economy stagnates, but we get these inflationary prices through commodities, that stagflation is probably one of the most difficult scenarios for the Federal Reserve to handle, for any type of treasury secretary or administration to handle. And so that's really, to me, I think, something that we have to keep an eye on because it's going to impact the market.
1: In a negative way, would it impact it or Even because inflation generally is relatively good for stocks.
0: Yeah. They go in tandem for a while and then they separate. Because as, as the cost of goods go up, obviously, the bottom line profit for companies gets impacted. Okay. And of course, a lot of these companies are going to continue to depend on their own earnings growth as the economies come back. But if it doesn't, then, of course, that hurts the bottom line. And really, if you want to look back in history from 1969 to 1982, this was actually a stagnant market. The market did nothing. It went sideways for those 15 years Until after they raised the interest rates to get the commodities back under control and inflation under control, that's when the Dow started to break out of a 15-year range and go back up. So where everybody's predicting, like Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs predicting these huge growths in GDP, I'm wondering how that's going to be accomplished. So we'll see what happens. But I don't think it'll be great for stocks. Of course, there'll always be stocks that outperform. And that's why you're hearing people say, this is now becoming a stock picker's market. And I think that's true.
1: Yeah. Okay. That is very interesting. And are we saying that one of the only uh, ways, if there was stagflation, to control commodity price inflation is raising interest rates, but that would then put a lot of pressure on companies out <laughs> debt, et cetera. So potentially a bad scenario to, yeah. Okay. Interesting.
0: Yes. I think the only real way to fight your way out of stagflation is to try to do what you can to boost the economy without letting that inflation go crazy. That's why it is such a difficult situation to deal with because yeah, the inclination is to keep raising the rates, which of course will put the kibosh yeah. on the market. So we'll see what happens. They, they worked their way out of it before, but they, they had a real temporary situation there with those rates being so high that would had a huge impact on the economy till everything started turning again. And taxes, by the way, is another big factor in this because if we start raising taxes here, Um, That also will hamper the economy to some degree. It certainly will hamper the market because psychologically it hates the word tax. Um, And so um, that too could really present to the stagflation scenario as well.
1: Yeah, I see. Yeah, I can see that coming further down the line. They've got to pay off these debts that they've sort of accumulated. Um, And if we can bring it back to just a a quick chat about the bonds, uh, because people have been using that as a gauge for inflation expectations, basically. Could you just describe, even from your point of view as a trader, how you use the 10-year Treasury and, you know, why, basically?
0: So looking at it first from being sort of an armchair economist, because I'm certainly no economist and maybe even a little proud of that, but because economists are not necessarily very good at market timing. But in terms of looking at the yields, well, basically, the 10-year yields have been the really major focus, And that is because uh, investors look at that where it's probably one of the safer bets in that they literally loan money to the U.S. government uh, for a 10-year term. And they assume that the government will never default. And that assumption, of course, is based on the fact that here in the United States, we can keep printing money. And then as the economy starts to improve and those yields go up, then they don't pay as much. And so the demand becomes less. And that's the, what exactly what happened over the last couple of weeks. The demand for those yields for those particular 10-year bonds started to fall. And so what the 10-year yields are closely related to are the mortgage rates, the 15-year mortgage rates. And so with a big housing boom that we've had, all of a sudden now the housing sales have gone down and the amount of uh, mortgage applications have gone down. So this whole thing sort of can spiral very quickly out of control because, again, going back to our other conversation, it really says a lot on one level that the economy is going to grow. But on the other level, if we raise them too fast, considering how fragile the economy is, then that whole thing can reverse completely and become a house of cards. Yes. From an investing standpoint, initially when the yields started to rise, we were already not involved in big tech and growth stocks. We were already involved in value stocks and it had an initial very positive reaction, especially to things like transportation and small caps, industrial production, et cetera. But what's making the market so choppy now is that equation has been somewhat uh, skewed by the fact that we are coming out of a pandemic. So industrial production, which looked like it was gonna really soar, actually contracted uh, on the last statistic that came out for the month before. Retail sales, which you would expect to go up considering how much cash people have, actually went down. And so it's very difficult right here as an investor to watch these yields and say, ah, I think it's time to buy NASDAQ because they soften today. Could be time to buy NASDAQ today, as we are talking because the yields have softened, but if they rise again because of any other industrial production or manufacturing number or any other statistic that has to do with the actual growth of the economy comes out positive, then that whole thing can reverse. So it's making it tough right here. And that's how we watch it as investors is really how much do we want to be invested? How much risk do we want to have on right now?
1: Yeah. And the yields at the moment for the ten year are they around two point five percent or something like this?
0: No, they've come off. They're like one. I read this morning that they were one point
1: six eight percent. One percent. Okay, okay. So they come off a bit. And at what point? Because obviously, for you know, if they are offering 10%, 20 percent, your potential returns there's, uh, from the stock market are, are less likely to be more than what you could get from having it in a bond, which is. Guaranteed money, basically, because it's still relatively low, right? Like they've come up a little bit, uh, but in comparison to the you know stocks that you know they're still a long way away. At what point would you think the bond yields would have a really negative impact on stocks?
0: You basically just almost answered your own question as you're talking right now, because yeah, they're still relatively low. So again, it's tied to the fact that there is economic hopefulness, but this hopefulness may die very quickly. By the fact that we are still, I mean, the United States is doing pretty okay with the opening and we're at like almost 85 to almost 90% back to full opening of the states in the United States. But the global situation is not. I'm not sure what's happening in London, but I know Paris and and France closed last week. Italy closed last week. The whole scandal about AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, so right, these yields cannot go up too fast because what that will show is that all of a sudden the U.S. economy looking around without the global help will start to say, how much can we really grow from here? Um, An isolationist policy may sound sexy to Americans on paper, but in actuality, we're still very much a global e- economy. So yeah. yeah, it's so delicate right here. I, I can't remember it being this delicate mm-hmm. in a long, long time because of the inflation scares that that are happening as well on top of everything else. Yeah.
1: And do you think that it's clear to see that we are seeing inflation in prices more than more than you know some of the stats that come out of the um you know the Fed and everything, but don't take into account I believe like commodity prices, stuff like this. So um we're seeing you know some as you mentioned, some metals like you know copper, et cetera. Really, you can see the price going up quite significantly there. Do you think we're seeing that in food and other stuff, that general goods, that the consumer is going to be impacted by it directly?
0: Well, it's very true what you said, that the Fed in their metrics for measuring inflation do not take into account food or energy prices, two things that the consumer needs. I mean, obviously, no matter what, we all need to eat. And the food prices have gone up tremendously over the last several months. And one thing that cannot be controlled in terms of food is Mother Nature. So we're at a very interesting situation right now. Yes, the food prices went up because there was food hoarding, because of the the global supply chains, as we talked about, being disrupted, the low labor force, and the production that had been cut back to actually interact the fact that food prices were so low for so long So now you have this interesting idea that the Fed is not even looking at that, but Americans for sure, and I know all over the world, are starting to feel the pinch when they go to the supermarket to buy food because wheat, corn, soybean prices, milk prices, egg prices, poultry prices, all of them have gone up anywhere between 30 and 40%. So if we go back to the last time we had inflation, that was really the 70s, right? And What was interesting about that time is, like I said, it started really with the oil embargo and oil prices going up, and anything can get those oil prices back up. There are predictions of oil going to $75 to $100 a barrel. That would not be a a good situation for the inflation scenario. But if we go back to food, I've been feeling for a while that this inflation, besides the fact that we're looking at these industrial metals, is really in the hands of these rising food prices. And just to tie back to my original point, anything environmental happens at this point, like Brazil and Argentina, which could have a drought situation because we're in La Nina right now. As the United States starts to get into its major growing seasons with already having low numbers, any drought here can create that. That will, in turn, I think really is what will be the spark of this super cycle in commodities, which will make the Fed pay attention, whether they use it in their PCE metrics or not, and that's personal consumption expenditure. Yeah.
1: Okay. And um, we went through stagflation as one possible scenario for equities. Um, Overwhelmingly, you sort of said Potentially like negative. If that sort of happens, that would be negative for equities, really. Are there other scenarios that um, you've thought about playing out that people should be looking for and watching? Well, in
0: terms of just basic mega trends, to me, still the most exciting thing right now is blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And even though it's taken a little bit of pause here, it's taken a pause near its all time high. If you're looking just at Bitcoin, that went up a little bit over 60,000. Uh, it was trading about fifty-six to fifty-seven thousand today. With so much information that's coming out about how blockchain technology is going to change everything—the way all data is collected, the way uh, the medical field is going to change—you know, the, the the way that even financial transactions will change. The fact that it's being legitimized over and over by all these different companies, uh, and then Morgan Stanley even said they were going to start to. Allow their higher and net worth of uh, people start buying cryptocurrencies. This to me is really what I'm, I have our eyes on. And um, besides the fact that we're looking at now buying some of the beat-up commodities that are, haven't moved yet, like gold, silver and the gold miners, yeah. we keep playing the cryptocurrency space, but through different ways. because my clients and our clients at Market Gage are older. And they don't necessarily feel comfortable buying Bitcoin or buying Ethereum or buying Dogecoin or Ripple, for that matter. We've been looking at all the companies that are dealing that sort of circumvent them, like Riot uh, and um, and Kanan MicroStrategy. And, yeah, MicroStrategy, et cetera. PayPal, Square, all those type of companies. So, yeah, that's a trend, I think, no matter what happens. And especially if we get inflation, I think it could be even more bullish. Yep. Of the cryptocurrency space, especially if the dollar, which has popped but still is relatively weak to, compared to where it was, mm-hmm. is also under siege, potentially.
1: Do you think Bitcoin could be seen as this sort of inflation hedge, potentially, like gold? Oh, absolutely. It already has. This was
0: the conversation that was happening at the end of 2020 that while things were going awry still with, with the change of the administration and, um, and the fact that it looked like a second wave was coming and people got a little bit nervous about that and we sort of had this downturn in November, Bitcoin was continuing to go up. So, I do believe that that will continue to be something that will be a focus for a, an inflation hedge. Yeah. And it also, you know, it also really gets around a lot of the regulation and, and, uh, and the standardization, even though they're talking about some level of standardization by being able to trade ETFs. Mm-hmm. So, we'll be interesting to see about that because Coin was the ETF that was supposed to get launched soon, and now that's been delayed once again.
1: Yeah, we keep on delaying stuff. I saw, um, Scaramucci looking to launch a Bitcoin ETF as well. Did you see that?
0: No, I didn't, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not an opportunist at all.
1: <laughs> um, and technically, that's what I wanted to ask. Technically, what's the Bitcoin chart saying? I mean, it's, it's in an uptrend, obviously, but um, are, are we looking in the near term? Like next six months, is it looking like it's showing the trend is up? Like, Is it looking positive?
0: Well, it's great because actually it's very technical. So every time we get to a new level, it sells off, but then the the sell-off is creating higher lows in essence. So it goes up, it sells off, goes up, it sells off, but this time the support is higher, et cetera, et cetera. That's a very bullish chart pattern in general. So just looking at the hard numbers here. Between fifty-three and fifty-six thousand has really been the last level mm. of support. And even though we went back ob- above over sixty and we've come down a little bit, if it can hold here at this 56, 57, I think next time it takes out sixty, it's going to go heading up either close to seventy-five or somewhere between sixty-five and seventy-five. It's hard to say. Yeah. With projections that it could go to four hundred thousand, I mean, who knows? It's really, it's really hard to say. But I think to me right now, Ethereum is, is interesting me more. Technically or from what perspective? Fundamentally and technically. For one, if Bitcoin is the currency, Ethereum is the fuel in essence, and it's very, very tied into the whole blockchain technology, and that's what I think is so exciting. So we're looking at Ethereum right now. It's been sort of holding about 1780. It get, got all the way up to 1860 over the weekend, I saw. And that's the other thing that makes this very, very uh, uncertain for the older people is because they're not going to sit there and watch their phones all weekend because yeah. it's a 24-hour market. They don't want to do that. And I don't blame them. I happen to be looking at it because yeah. it is fascinating yeah. to see. But, um, but with some standardization, I think Ethereum can really catch a lot of attention uh, in the future. And, of course, just looking at the pure price, we get through... Two thousand, then we'll be going on to new highs. So that's what we're watching for the seventeen eighty level to hold. Get through eighteen hundred again, maybe not on a Saturday afternoon, (laughs) and then and then we can see what happens from there.
1: Something else that's been on my mind is um, so the U.S. has recently had a lot of stimulus. I think it's the record, a record amount that they they passed recently, and it's been getting into the hands of, of Americans, I believe, from a week ago or so. Is this the this the last planned stimulus? Do you think, as far as I'm aware, but maybe I'm wrong with that. When it stops, do you see? Because there's a lot, been a lot of surveys out, but a lot of people are, are just putting a lot of that money into stocks or and you know Bitcoin, especially the younger generations, and that is you know putting fuel on the fire for the stocks and Bitcoin. When that stops, because at some point it must, is that going to really hamper the sort of potential or gains in these respective markets? Or I don't know if it's something you thought about.
0: Well, I have thought about it. I mean, one of the things, by the way, that's happened because of stimulus, as I kind of keep my ear to the ground and talk to people that I run into all over the place, is that people have not gone back to work because they're making more money staying home, which I thought was fascinating because restaurants, which are starting to reopen, and just hotel chains in general that are starting to reopen, are having difficulty in getting their people to come back to work because they're making... a week staying home. So that that could actually be a good thing when the stimulus money runs out and they go, oh, I better get back to work. And they get back to work. That could actually help. So that would also potentially be somewhat inflationary. But getting back to the other part of your question in terms of investments in the stock market or in Bitcoin because of the stimulus money, I take that as basically, again, when I got started in the markets way back when, When there was the inflationary cycle and you would get into a taxi and the taxi driver was talking about buying gold. In essence, this is kind of what we're experiencing now. It's a good time to buy stocks. It's a good time to buy cryptocurrency, et cetera, et cetera. You've got everybody under the sun, people who've never invested in their life talking about it. And then eventually everything settles down and you get sort of a strata. You get the people who caught the wave made a fortune of money, and they disappear and they go off and do whatever it is they do, retire early or get involved in something else. Then you get the people who got involved and didn't realize that anything can correct and correct hard because the markets always have a way of humbling everyone, and they just get wiped out and you never see them again. They go off and do whatever it is they're going to do. But really, you get the bulk of the people in the middle. And the bulk of the people in the middle say, wow, you know what? This is a pretty good game. I can make some money here. Wasn't something I thought about before. The millennial generation was sort of anti-Wall Street. And now the Gen Z generation is more like, hey, we can probably try to control Wall Street. So you'll get those people in the middle who will say, but I better get a little bit of an education here because nobody's bigger than the market including the Reddit kids or anybody else, Wall Street vets. They can move a stock, they can move a stock. But when you're talking about the broad market, it's much harder. And that's what I think. I think we'll get a good generation of people who will stay with investing and add liquidity to the market and hopefully have learned some lessons that no matter how well they did or how poorly they did, you know, maybe I should understand charts. Maybe I should be looking at business cycles. Maybe I should understand phases or whatever it is that they decide to, uh, that they think will help their trading. They'll, they'll get an education. And, and I think it's uh, uh, probably already happening.
1: We hope you're enjoying the episode. For interviews like this every Thursday, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and leave guest suggestions along with any other feedback in the review section. Now, back to the show. And you touched on uh, the value versus growth that um, has been, you know, very popular in the markets recently because value has been outperforming growth for uh, the last four to five months or so. And while well, some growth stocks have got beaten down very, very hard, you're seeing like, you know, half the price basically of what they used to be. Um, is a lot of this related to the reopening, uh, both inflation, but this, you know, we said this is potentially related to the reopening and the economy, you know, getting back to and growing again. Is that why we're seeing? This sort of happened, and you're seeing companies that did very well because everyone was at work from home. Now they're saying, well, actually, if everyone goes back you know, to working normally, they're not going to do so well. And actually, some of the value stocks are going to start doing better, et cetera. Is that what we're seeing, or is it, is it deeper than that? Well,
0: I think that's a pretty good assessment of what we're seeing. Obviously, during the pandemic, people were at home, and so technology and growth stocks were, were extremely valued because people were using the technology. And it's actually healthier. For the economy, in terms of uh, the rotation into value and into what we call the inside oh. sectors of the market, because at that point now you're really talking about some real growth. Now, in terms of high tech stocks, uh, big tech stocks, and high and high tech stocks, they have been making a run since 2012. And so, just in terms of cycles in general, things start to get tired and overvalued. And that's a lot of what we saw too. And the pandemic really pushed that where some of these companies were just so ridiculously overvalued, they had to come off in price. But I wouldn't discount growth stocks forever. What you really want to hope for here is that this rotation into small caps, value, transportation, retail, banks continues because ultimately. And Stanley Druckenmiller will say this. Ultimately, those inside sectors of the market really are what's going to push the GDP higher. And that's what we need. Throughout this entire period of the last almost 10 years of seeing big tech and growth stocks rally, the U.S. economy grew, but not by very much, certainly not by China GDP standards. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK.
1: That's, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, very interesting. So as the whole market grows, both value and growth can can grow, basically. And a good thing I heard as well was that the rotation to value was the money was staying in the market, is what I heard quite a few people saying, rather than like it was leaving growth into value from maybe it was, you know, hedge funds and stuff, rather than people just jumping out of the market because of a correction. Was that safe to say as well? Or?
0: Mm -hmm. And also just the word value is a very interesting way to define it because people think value means, oh, yeah, this is good value. And so, you know, there's good value stocks and then there's value stocks that you shouldn't touch. And so that's why when we're looking at it, again, from a trading investment standpoint, the value stocks that you're looking at, you really want to be making sure that they have a decent balance sheet in terms of the company and also potentially are falling in line with one of, forget about the growth stocks, the growth areas, just in terms of mega trends, whether they be global megatrends uh, that are socially impacted or politically impacted um, or economically impacted. So some of the value, like for example, a very good value stock to look at is in the 3D printing space. Because 3D printing companies Some of them have been losing money for years. Some of them are starting to get better balance sheets. They're considered value stocks. And yet they're in a mega trend of the fact that 3D printing is going to continue to grow, we hope, because we think it's an unbelievable technology to help mankind. Whereas other value stocks, you shouldn't necessarily touch. So I think you have to do some due diligence when you talk about this value versus growth. While the NASDAQ stocks were correcting, as soon as it looked like a bottom, we bought Facebook. Yeah. And, 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 and because Facebook is, and a lot of these growth companies are starting to divest now, they're starting to get into other things, whether it's the electric car space or the medical space or the blockchain space. And so that's the other thing to keep an eye on is that the idea of value and these megatrends and how these big tech stocks are adapting to divest is also really key here into what happens with some of these growth stocks going forward. Some of them will die on the vine if they can't match up the time or they divest too much. And others will you know, continue to go in line with the yeah. value stocks.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, I thought we could bring it back now to just a little bit more focus on commodities. Uh, I know it's you know, one of your specialities, but we touched on it earlier and we were talking about this sort of commodity super cycle which is sort of related to inflation, but also it's where supply, you know, it's, it's basically so inadequate that, uh, you know, it really drives growth up uh, in prices for, for years, you know, even a, a decade or so. Um, are, do you think that we're at the start of this sort of super cycle? Is that something we might be in for commodities or, you know, what are your thoughts on it?
0: Well, one of the questions you sent me was about sugar. Yeah. So I think this might be a good time to talk about sugar because sugar is sort of the secret sauce mm-hmm. that most investors no investor that I know of, except for the few of us who traded on the commodities exchange and me personally, who started out in coffee, sugar, cocoa exchange. I think we talked about that. I'd gone to London back then to meet with EDF Man, uh, which is a big sugar company in London. Um, sugar in the 70s actually made a move before any of the other commodities did in the mid 70s. Sugar went up a lot. And then it came off. And then in 1979, 1980, when gold and silver became all the rage, sugar went up, but it didn't go up as high as it had been. It got up to 65 cents a pound, which we think about it now sounds insane. And then when it dropped, it went back up to 40 cents a pound, give or take, during the 1979 to 1981 hyperinflation boom. So the reason why I love to sugar, because I consider it actually a lead indicator of commodities. And so sugar so far has come up a lot over the last several months, trading at about 15 cents, which is almost double where it was, and nowhere near it was, of course, back 40 years ago. So I like to keep my eyes on that because yeah. not only is it a good indicator in terms of it could lead, but why? So, the question is why? And I think what happens is when you get into an inflationary environment, for whatever the reason is, in the pandemic case, this is a perfect example, people will turn to sugar as sort of a comfort food. And even with all the bad press that we've had over the years about how horrible sugar is for you, people still consume large quantities of sugar, and particularly lower socioeconomic groups. And when food gets more expensive, they're going to buy products that have sugar in them to make up for the fact that they can't necessarily afford to buy lots of grains and plant-based products, et cetera. It's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate in a sense. But if we take away the fact that it kills the health of so many people in the lower socioeconomic brackets, and that by design is something that's been going on for years, we just look at it from the pure inflation standpoint, it kind of tells you what the psychology is doing in terms of where the money is being spent on food. And then there's an environmental factor as well. Obviously, cane sugar and beet sugar are two types of sugar to look at. If there's any kind of disruption to the crops, that would be an indication as well. So that's why we like to watch. Those are, those are the two major reasons we like to watch the sugar because it tends to go up first before anything else. Now, it's, it's come off a little bit from its recent high. But I'll be very curious to see whether it can hold here at around this 15 cents. And then if it starts to make its way back yeah. over 16, 17 cents, I think that all those predictions about inflation will be true. And the way to make money will be to buy the inflationary commodities that do well in those conditions and probably stay very, or stay very little involved as possible as far as overall equities.
1: Okay. So that was, yeah, that was going to be my next question. So- If there was this sort of inflation, even stagflation, commodities could be a better bet than equities, basically, as a choice for where to to invest your money. Yes. And think about how many
0: people even understand commodities, let alone trade commodities. So we've really been trying to do a lot to educate people on not being so afraid. And one of the great things that have come out of the last 10 years are exchange traded funds so that you can trade commodities yeah. through them and not have to go into the futures market, which people find, like Bitcoin, super scary. So if you want to be exposed to gold, for example, you can buy GLD or silver, SLV. If you want to be exposed to sugar, you can buy cane, C-A-N-E, or if it's coffee, J-O. For every commodity, pretty much there's an ETF. Some of them have very, very low volume and low open interest because they're not heavily traded, which means they're thin and you have to adjust your trading accordingly. But if you start to see, here's another great sign, by the way, this is something we learned in commodities, is that when you start to see liquidity being added to any particular commodity and open interest rising that and of itself means that more investors are getting involved. That's probably bullish.
1: Interesting. And so, what, in your point of view, what commodities should should be you be watching if if uh, if that were to happen? Are you looking at you know the the precious metals, or you know is it food, agricultural stuff? What 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 are you watching?
0: Well, we we're actually we're in so many of them right now, and some of them have come down in price, and they're sitting right at a precipice where either we get out, we take our profit, and we're done with the trade after being in it for months and months and months, or they hold here and they offer a really good buy opportunity as we're getting into the potential drier season, not just in Brazil and Argentina, but also in the United States. So that would be wheat is sitting right here on support. Soybeans came off, sitting right on support. And the same thing with corn. So you might want to take a look at that and just measure that over the next couple of days. These lows that we're seeing right here, even if you look at the ETFs, if they hold, that would be your risk Mm -hmm. point. That's number one. We're already in Cain. And again, that's another one that's coming down to support. And if it could hold these levels, that's a good sign it'll go back up. But If these lows break, I would probably stay away for now because it couldn't mean that basically they've run their course for this time being, could go lower, and then we can look again. In terms of the um, industrial metals, a lot of them are very inflated already in price, like steel and copper. They're high, which makes the risk much greater. But again, if you look at it and you come up with some kind of a floor of a recent low as your risk point, as long as you have a risk point, you could pretty much get involved in any of these. What we've done is we've bought silver, we've bought the miners, and actually, hot off the press today, we got back involved in gold, which we haven't been in in a while, giving it some room. And that's because they have fallen so out of favor, if we really are entering into some kind of inflationary cycle, Mm -hmm. these levels that we're seeing now in gold and silver should hold and work their way up. So that that's kind of, and we're also looking at, like I said, we're trying to, to figure out how to trade around the cryptocurrency space. Right now, we we have no skin in the game except in one special purpose acquisition company, SPAC, that's tied to Etoro, which is the Israeli platform trading yeah. platform that's going to be heavily involved in cryptocurrency, and that is um, Fintech A or FTCV as a SPAC we're looking at, and we we have some skin in that game. But yeah, I would be keeping my eye a lot here on the metals, the softs in particular. That's really what has my, and the food commodities, that's what has my attention.
1: And for for traders that might not have so much experience trading commodities, especially the the ones outside of gold, silver, well, actually even silver can have some violent sort of ups and downs more than people may be experiencing equities and you know, things such as like, um, it can be overbought for a while and keep on like powering up if there's, you know. This strong fundamental demand for it. Um, what's the best way to position themselves so that they don't they don't risk too heavily on you know and, and treat it the same as equities because it is a bit different.
0: It is a bit different, and I'm glad you brought that up because commodities overbought means nothing in the commodities world because they trade very emotionally, just like Bitcoin does. Where you know stocks have an emotional component to it, of course, because it's people. Commodities have an incredible emotional component to it because these are raw materials. These are things we need to live. Nobody needs Facebook to live, but we do need food to live and we need basic raw materials for our homes, et cetera, to heat our homes, etc. Even though we're heading towards alternative energy, we're certainly not there yet. As we just saw in the United States when we had this big freeze. And all of a sudden, the wind turbines and the electrical grids weren't enough, looked at oil and gas, which also had its problems, but you need, still need a, very much a combination of traditional energy and new age energy to work together. So when you look at these raw materials, this is where the emotional component comes in because people get into hoarding. Countries get into hoarding. So I just wanted to give the background, which is why I love commodities and I'm so grateful That my first experience ever in trading was in commodities because I got to learn right away what all of that meant, how much money there is to be made, but how careful you have to be because things can change on a dime. So with that said, in terms of risk, this is why I'm saying if you don't know how to look at a basic chart, fundamentals are great and I certainly refer to them. The fundamentals do very little for your market timing. Well, the other thing we learned on the floor, by the way, where we had very little access to what we have now, 24-7 news, social media, look on your phone, you see what's going on. There was nothing like that. So what we really learned to know was the basic broad aspects of the fundamentals. Like if you were trading oil, you knew there was an OPEC meeting coming up, et cetera. But during the day when we were standing in the pits, we didn't see the news. Occasionally, some, you'd get a call from somebody that you were trading for at a brokerage firm like Merrill Lynch, and the broker would say, hey, by the way, did you hear that? You know, it, it, for, I, what immediately comes to mind was back in the early 80s, Anwar Sadat got assassinated about six times before he actually got assassinated. So there's the rumor versus the news. But other than that, what did we watch? Mm. We watched pure price. Okay, So that's why I say you really have to understand price action that price rules. And the only way to really understand price action is to have a chart in front of you to see the history of where price has been, which can help you make a prediction on where price is going, or the old look left to look right. And so if you wanna trade commodities, which is how I learned to chart, was by trading commodities, just make sure you know, look historically and say, gee, where is there some price support? And if that's your level of support, you're getting in close to that support. You have a pretty good risk point because if it breaks that support, you can get right out. And if you're buying up a little bit, then adjust the position size, which is also so key. So if you want to get in gold because you have to get in gold, but you think you have to risk, say, $50 in terms of the pure gold price, or if you're looking at GLD, 2 to $3, but you still want to get in and you don't want to wait for it to come down to support because you think it's going up, just buy less just by fewer shares of the GLD or whatever. So this way you still have the same level of risk but you, in terms of your money, but you're in it at a higher level. So that's kind of the key. And then also figure out your timeframe. That would be the third thing, is some people like to day trade. And that's okay. Your risk is going to be very different than if you're looking at it for a position swing type of situation where you want to have a good amount of risk, but you don't want to get be wiped out if it goes against you.
1: Yeah, of course. And you you um you mentioned uh commodities, very emotional uh because people need these things. When you're talking about gold, it's slightly different, it's seen as like a safe haven. How would that react differently in this super cycle? I've seen some things saying that gold it, it is an inflation hedge, but um historically, you know, if you compare it against stocks, stocks actually do better, a lot better in, in inflationary environments than than gold has. So if this is more due to inadequate uh, supply to meet demand, then are we looking at sort of like like we talked about, the food, industrial metals, these are the ones that are really going to have a super cycle. Is that fair assumption?
0: That that is, um, but let's talk about gold for a second because gold, yes, was always considered to be and has been around for a really long time. And it's, again, a raw material, right? So there's only a limited supply of gold. The reason why gold hasn't necessarily performed in part to some of the other inflationary indicators we've just talked about is because, really, of Bitcoin. That has been a big part of it because people are saying gold is dead. And there's been this great argument between the big uh, bulls in crypto space versus somebody like, say, like Peter Schiff, who's an old gold bull. And these debates have gotten a lot of uh, Twitter attention, Uh, people, uh, younger people laughing at Peter Schiff, et cetera, because he's a dinosaur, et cetera. But the thing is, is, is he really? So that's kind of what I've been wondering myself, is that gold, though, I mean, you could actually, the reason why gold was so popular during inflationary times is a bar of gold. You can trade a bar of gold. It's something physical. You can hold it. You can own it. You can get money for it. Now, Bitcoin has taken away some of its thunder, but does that mean that erases completely the idea that gold is still a raw material that has an intrinsic value? And that's the big bet right here. That's why we bought gold today with obviously a risk In mind and we don't really want to spend too much in terms of how much percentage we're willing to risk. To carry gold is actually very expensive right now because of margins, which by the way, is another way they control these commodities. When I say they, the trading firms will raise the margins on commodities if they get too expensive, making them more costly to carry so people liquidate their positions. Another piece of the equation to keep in your mind. So getting back to gold, I would say that if we're really heading, it won't matter. People will buy gold regardless. And again, that too can become emotional at any point. Gold is an extremely emotional metal to trade. And it could be that it is dead and it won't go anywhere. It'll go up a little, but it won't go anywhere near exponentially as high as some of these other commodities that we've talked about can go because it's not necessarily the thing anymore with the advent of crypto.
1: That is a great moment to finish, I think, Mish. And um, that has been really great to get your insight on that. I'm glad you followed it up on that Bitcoin versus gold. I wanted to ask you about that. It's a very interesting time, isn't it? Uh, there's a lot of things happening. And I, I can't, as someone was talking about, I think this Bitcoin is the first asset class to get um, sort of taken mainstream by retail investors first and then adopted by institutional. It's, it's never, never happened before, really. So um very interesting time with you, but thank you so much for your insight. Um, Did you have anything else you'd like to say to to the community before we wrap up? And also, where can people go to follow you, get your insights, et cetera?
0: Well, our website is marketgage.com, and there's a tremendous amount of information there. We, We put out a daily blog, which actually Opto has picked up, which is great, so we really appreciate that. That's right. You can go to Opto itself to uh, online. I get my email in the morning or I see it tweeted out, sharing uh, different traders besides myself's opinions about the market. Um, And that's free. So that's one thing. Um, Actually, Keith Schneider, my husband and CEO, does a weekly one with a video that's also free. So there's free content. Twitter at Market Minute. I do a lot of tweeting during the day. Um, and people can ask me questions. So those are two of the best ways is to either go to the website and take a look at the content that we have, or if you have a direct question, ask me that on Twitter. I also do these morning stories every day on Instagram where I actually give ta- stock tips. So like, for example, I went on this morning and I reiterated my interest here in the precious metals, which is something that I hadn't been interested in for quite some time. So yeah. That's great. In terms of what else to say to the community, yeah, I mean, really, this is an exciting time. And I have really w- walked away from a lot of the traditional equities that I've traded over and over and over through the years to get involved in some of these SPACs. We've made some great money in SPACs. You just have to understand some of the, the inner workings of SPACs. You have two years to go public, make sure they're merging with a company that's solid or in a future growth area. And, uh, and also, again, companies related to the cryptocurrency space and even the electric vehicle space, even though I'm not necessarily so keen on that right now, I'm very keen on the idea of distribution of electricity, because you want to talk about another commodity, electricity. And with, as that demand grows and the supply is somewhat limited, there could be another great opportunity as far as a commodity that most people don't talk about.
1: Are there ETFs, et cetera, to take advantage of just electricity? Grid. Yeah. G-R-I-D is one right there. It kind of tells it all in one. That's why I love these
0: ETFs. They're just named so appropriately. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of companies that you could look at, even some of the utility companies also, the ones that actually, but they're interest rate sensitive, so you always have to be aware of that as well. But yeah, it's a, it's a good little research project to see what companies, including some of the standard oil companies, that are getting involved in not only alternative energy, but in the idea of distribution of electricity so that people's demand can be met.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then um, Market Gauge also offers a host of other things as well that, that, that people can get involved in, uh, like paid for services. Um, so it's worth checking that out as well.
0: Yes, well, if you're interested in, in algorithm trading, quant models that do basically do not take any uh, emotions into play at all and just trade off of pure price and momentum. We have several that have done very, very well, well outperformed the market. And then if you're interested more in tools, like some of our momentum indicators, you can take advantage of that. And if you want a discretionary trader service, that gives you real-time alerts exactly when to enter what particular instrument, especially as we're going into more of a commodities-type environment. There's my service, which is called Mish's Market Minute Premium. And uh, and we we have, if you look at our portfolio right now, I'd say half is commodities, if not more than half right now, as we're positioning.
1: Awesome. I'll, I'll um, make sure there's a link in the show notes uh, for Mish's Premium stuff. So check it out. Great. Thank you, Ed. Thanks very much, Mish. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time.